This morning's scripture reading will come from Matthew, the 12th chapter, verses 46 through 50. If you'd like to follow along in one of the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 861. It's Matthew chapter 12, 46 through 50. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Good morning. It's so good to have you. Uh, if you are our guest or a returning member, uh, what a wonderful day to worship God. And we are very excited about 2016 and uh, about what's going on today and the rest of this month. It is uh, Involvement Sunday. And our Involvement Sundays, we're having two this year as we did last year, and it's on today, January 10th and the 24th. And if, uh, well, I know David's mentioned before just a few short weeks ago. That we have a lot of people here who have placed fellowship or have started visiting with us in the past year, and a lot. We usually have uh, between 70 and 100 adults join our congregation uh, or request to, to place fellowship here with us. And so uh, if you have been here between now and the last Involvement Sunday, uh, what we try to do is we try to have a ministry fair out in the foyer. And over two Sundays, we, we try to represent as many ministries as possible uh, that are looking and recruiting for people and ways that you can get involved. Uh, Entry-level opportunities, if you're looking for that quick connection, uh, that would be easy to jump right in and serve. Uh, so I hope that you will take the time between classes to go out uh, and before service tonight to go out to the foyer and look at uh, some of the displays and talk to some of our deacons. Uh, they will not be manned between classes, but tonight about 20 minutes before evening service, uh, they will be there to answer any questions and, and give you a description about what their ministry does. And like we said, it's not all the ministries out there uh, today, but on the 24th we'll have a lot more out there. Uh, we are really blessed. We have 50 to deacons, uh, 51 deacons in our church that are willing to head up different ministries that reach out uh, to the congregation and reach out to the community and do all sorts of different things. Uh, so really blessed. It's a lot of information. So if you have a question, this is the Sunday to ask it. Uh, I'm usually giving good news when I preach, but not for all of you. Uh, I have an announcement here that there is a Volvo SUV in the parking lot and your lights are on. So I'm sorry of all days to leave your lights on. Uh, be safe going back out there. Tag number 243TG2. Uh, or that could be a Z. I don't know. We'll find out. A couple of other announcements. Uh, we are excited uh, for a lot of things going on in the women's ministry coming up this year. Uh, they have a theme called The Love Run, and they're going to have a kickoff breakfast on January 30th. That's a Saturday morning. And you can register for that at 8.30 a.m. that day, and there will be a catered meal at 9 a.m. So you'll show up and register for that day, but before then they're encouraging people to sign up, and you can do that at Information Central. Uh, don't worry if you sign up. You're not running a 5K or anything like that. It is 
It is the theme, the love run, uh, but you don't have to run. You can just come eat breakfast. Uh, so we're really excited. Uh, the ladies have really worked hard. Uh, Jeanette Cartwright, Melissa Burka, and a lot of, uh, so many ladies in that ministry have been retooling, rethinking, and uh, getting ready to, to launch a new theme for that ministry this year. Uh, also, one week from today, you will have the chance uh, to sign up for the second annual Sanctity of Life dinner, and that benefits Agape. And a lot of you know what Agape is, and you know the good work that they do. Uh, the dinner is on January 21st, 2016 at 6.30 p.m., and it will be here at church in the Upper Fellowship Hall, and children and families are welcome. Uh, misspoke a little bit. You can RSVP today. The sign-up is at Information Central, and you have until the 17th. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention we're going to get through this eventually, is you have on the ends of your pews and in the windowsill uh, a pocket calendar. And this will fold up into a wallet size uh, fold out and you can carry that with you throughout the year. We want you to be in the know when it comes to our events. And when you pull that out, uh, please go ahead and pass it down the rows for everybody to get one. And when you are done passing it down, make sure uh, that they get back to the end of the pews and don't stay in the middle so we'll have plenty for second service. But you can take one of those and it's got uh, our theme on it and all the major days and, and just about every major thing that's going on at church on Sundays and throughout the week. And as you take that, you'll notice that there are dates uh, in blue. And what, what's so special about those days? Those are kind of days that uh, we, we call them church-wide days. In other words, if you're a member, if you're a visitor, and you want to come on some of these events, those blue days are the days where we plan to have a lot of people. Uh, we plan to have our whole church participate. And so uh, make sure when you're planning your vacations and breaks for the year uh, to work around some of those days. Uh, you will notice in August that we have our 125th anniversary homecoming. Uh, so you'll definitely want to be there, make plans for that. Um, and we are, we are really looking forward to uh, making plans and planning that day out. And, and just a, it's going to be really exciting. All right. Maybe you've heard the story. It goes something like this. There was a couple of neighbors, two couples, and they had a fence between their yards, and they were pretty close together, but they didn't really interact much except for uh, a, there, one of them had a dog and one of them had a big, white, fluffy rabbit. And one of the neighbor's dogs would sit out in the backyard, and across the fence was the rabbit, and he would be out in the backyard doing whatever rabbits do. And the dog always wanted to jump the fence and you know, play with the rabbit. Well, this went on, and, and the way they got to know each other was just through short bouts of, you know, making sure that the dog was kept away from the rabbit and maintaining that fence and so forth. And they would say, hey, and they'd take their dog back in. Well, one day the couple went out, and they came back for dinner. Uh, they came back from dinner, and they owned the, the couple that owned the dog. And they noticed that their dog was on the back porch waiting to come in. And he had something in his mouth, and it was white, it was kind of dirty and beat up and had been, looked like it had just been, you know, massacred. Uh, and they figured out that it was the rabbit from next door. And it wasn't alive anymore. And so they kind of like said, what do we do? And so they, they, they saw where, you know, the fence had been jumped and so forth and, or dug under. And they said, well, okay, uh, the other couple's not home yet. So here's what we'll do. We'll, uh, 
We'll go back over there, we'll clean it up, and we'll put it where the bunny usually plays. They thought this was an airtight plan, so they clean the bunny up, this, this dead bunny, and they take it and they put it in the yard where it usually plays. Sorry, kids. And they wait for this other couple to get home, and, and everything will be fine, just let's forget about it. Well, the other couple comes home, and they hear the wife across the way just shrieking, just screaming in horror at what has happened to their rabbit. So they, they come over there, and, and they're kind of like, well, what's going on? What's... Uh, What's the matter? And the wife is, is scared to death, just white-faced, that her bunny had come back from the dead. The dog hadn't attacked the bunny at all. Uh, the rabbit had actually died, and they had buried it, and the dog dug it back up. <laughs> it's amazing what you miss when you don't perceive things correctly and you don't have all the information. There's an old adage, perception is reality. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever heard of that. But our minds are powerful things. They can gather clues really quickly in a certain context. They can fill in the rest of the blanks. And then they can tell us what to do in a situation. And our perception, the way we think the world is, uh, is so powerful it, become, it becomes more real to us than the actual reality that's out there. Hence the saying, perception is reality. And that phrase doesn't mean that uh, things are whatever you want them to be. It's a testament to how powerful our perception can be. Uh, we will behave and react and plan based on our current perception, our worldview. And that's why our core beliefs are so important. The information that we have to go on is so important. It determines how we act in reality. And there are many instances of this in Scripture, but probably uh, the instance that sticks out the most to me I want to bring before you today is in Mark chapter 8. And it begins in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. I do have the verses on screen for you there. And they came to Bethsaida, and some of people brought to him, that's Jesus, a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand. And led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Kind of a, a weird story, right? And it makes you ask a lot of questions when you read it for the first time or you hadn't really studied it. Uh, why did Jesus have to heal this guy two times? Was it not enough power and, and he had to kind of try a second time again? Uh, was it up to the man? Was the man's faith not adequate? Because Jesus would often heal people based on their faith. So maybe his faith was not enough. Uh, was Jesus wanting the man to tell him that he couldn't see and there's some kind of lesson there that if we're honest enough and we talk to Jesus and we lay everything before him, then he can fully heal us. Uh, why did Jesus use spit so much when he fixed stuff? There's just a lot of questions that go on in stories like this in the Gospels. But when you realize how Mark tells his story and the way that Mark likes to write, uh, you will, and you read a little further, it becomes evident why this healing story is included in the gospel. When Jesus healed people, he often did it to make a point, 
to emphasize a teaching or in our case to correct a misunderstanding and we'll find that out when we read a little bit further and there's no, there's no uh, difference in this case right here we have in Bethsaida. We get to Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ in the next block of text. Uh, we pick up in the next verses. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. You can tell a lot about who someone is and what their perception of, of reality is by the way they answer questions, right? That's why we ask questions in class, and why we do it in job interviews. And the disciples here are showing Jesus that they are still, they're kind of blind to who Jesus is. And, and maybe they're being a little reluctant to answer the question as well. But then Peter gives the right answer in verse 29. We pick up Mark 8, verse 29. And he, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. Peter gets it. He's seen the miracles. He's, he's seen the healings. He has seen his own mother-in-law healed. He's seen Jesus walk on the water. He's seen Jesus feed thousands of people, cast a legion of demons out of a man and throw them all into the sea uh, through pigs. He's seen all kinds of things. And he knows the power of Jesus. Peter is not blind to the power of Jesus. But then he does reveal that though he's not blind, his sight is not very good. It's not correct. We pick up in verse 31. This is after Peter confesses Christ. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. How in the world can Peter give the right answer and then proceed immediately after that to do the wrong thing? Well, it's going back to our blind man, uh, blind man at Bethsaida. Just like him, he was no longer blind, but he couldn't see clearly exactly. The people looked like trees. And Peter's behavior reflected clearly his core belief. He knew the title of Jesus. He knew that he was the Christ. But he didn't know much else about Jesus' mission or plan after that. Think about that. We're going to come back to that in a second. Jesus goes on to elaborate on his teaching. And after rebuking Peter, he brings in the crowd. Even though the crowd is listening now and they didn't hear this private conversation between Jesus and Peter and what he says to them, uh, they, they get the, this elaboration of just what kind of Christ Jesus is, what he came to do, and what his followers must do. Uh, we pick up in verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebukes Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is going to take a second here to correct these misunderstandings about himself circulating in rumors around Palestine at this time. 
And he's going to say these things about him and his mission and that he's coming to die, not to save, to save people from governments and so forth. He's going to say that many times and they're still not going to understand it until he, he's died and he's risen from the dead. But think about how perception shattering that statement was to those in the crowd, to Peter, who are hearing this for the first time. I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, you are saying that you want me to deny myself and pick up a cross. We thought you were the Christ. We thought that anyone who would follow you might pick up a sword or pick up anything that we could turn into a weapon and take back the, the glory of Israel and reset up the Davidic dynasty and, and be free of the Roman government and all the other governments that will come in and, and take over our land. And you want us not to pick up a weapon to fight against Rome. You want us to pick up the very symbol that shows what happens to people when they disobey the most powerful government in the world. You want us to pick up a cross. Are you sure? And I think about John chapters 5 through 6 where Jesus starts talking about his own body and his own blood being food, true food, and everybody has to partake of it. And all the people that he lost that day because they couldn't understand that difficult teaching. And I think this was one of those moments where they couldn't understand the difficult teaching that he was giving to them. But it was necessary for Jesus to say those things, to, to correct those misunderstandings about himself. Why? Because perception is reality. And it's no different from today, right? So many different perceptions of Jesus exist today, and not many of them go back to the New Testament. We have a lot of people who can see so many things spiritually, but they're missing some of the details that, that Jesus laid forth in God's word and Paul wrote about and Peter testified about. And we can do that too. We can get confused on exactly who Jesus is. For a while, if we get away from the Bible and we just conjure up Jesus in our imagination, we can begin to think that he's, he's six foot plus, that he's white, that he would vote like we would vote or that he would share our views, or that he'd live the lifestyle that we would live, and he'd be okay with that. And if we're not careful, we can make Jesus out to be whoever we want Jesus to be, because perception is reality, and it's dangerous when we have the wrong perception. Now let's bring this whole conversation we've been studying at uh, in, in Mark chapter 8 into today, Involvement Sunday. Involvement Sunday is about getting plugged into the kingdom work in this congregation. Are there any parallels between what we've been talking about in Mark 8 and today? And I would say that there are. First, let's talk a little bit about involvement. Why is it difficult? Why do some people find it difficult to be involved in a church? I think they, that people might come up with a list. And I just sat down and thought of some of my own, of some barriers. Uh, maybe there's a lack of information. Maybe... There's a lack of information about ministries and what they do or whether or not they even exist and who's who and, and what each ministry does. Maybe there's a lack of organization in the church between all these ministries. Uh, maybe there's no clear starting point. Maybe to get more people involved, we need more new member friendly or entry level opportunities. This one kind of goes with every church. Maybe there's social barriers to overcome. If you walk into a church of this size with multiple services and, you know, Sundays where a lot of activities are going on and people are coming and going, 
it's kind of hard to find your place in that and to, to dig down and grow roots. Uh, maybe it's awkward just to start working with strangers. Frankly, another barrier, it's a lot of work <laughs> to come into a church of this size and to get to know people. Uh, our leadership here at this congregation is working hard to remove as many of those barriers to our ministries as we can. And our goal is this, if you want to do something in Mount Juliet for the glory of God, for the kingdom, we want to equip you and, and to give you that avenue to help you have that in your service to God for his glory. But here's the thing about those barriers is, as I wrote them down, I thought, you know, most of those barriers have solutions to them. We're pretty organized as a congregation. Uh, we are... We have pretty, pretty good information on all of our ministries. Uh, we have pretty good entry-level opportunities. And the social barriers, I agree, can be difficult and it can be intimidating, but, but we have lots of Bible classes and studies and, and ways to get in, into smaller groups instead of walking in here all at one time and, and being immersed in just the broad church culture and worship all at once. And so I thought while I was writing this sermon, what else can I do as the minister of involvement here to create that culture of involvement, to remove any barriers and find out what they are and, and take away the mystery out of this process? My first thought was, the internet can never be wrong, right? I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to see what other people are doing and other congregations and, and articles and what can I find? And what I found blew me away. I, I put in how to get involved in church and boom, in point zero zero three seconds, I found this article on WikiHow, which is this website that the whole purpose of the website is teach you how to do things. Pretty simple. And it was called how to get involved in church with pictures. So I thought, great, they even have pictures. I can share this in my sermon. Why didn't I find the site years ago? I'm going to have all these answers. And here's what the site gave. It gave it in 14 steps. Uh, number one, become a member of a church, or at least attend one that will let you be involved. Check. Uh, you have to be a member here to be involved in lots of our ministries. And hey, we are never going to fight you on being involved. We'd love for you to be involved here. I just wanted to make sure that we cleared the air. Uh, number two, there is all... Uh, there is always a need that has to be fulfilled at church. And I thought, wow, this person knows their stuff. They know that there are needs at all these churches. That's so right. Number three, I think he's getting into them now, or she, whoever wrote it. Be a door greeter. Number four, be an usher. Number five, serve in the children's ministry. Number six, if you have handy skills, offer to fix things that are broken. Number seven, serve in the hospitality department, uh, coffee, lunch, etc. Well, uh, we don't serve coffee on Sundays, but we have meals all the time. And I know that people are always looking for people to serve meals, like the ladies' kickoff breakfast. Number eight, depending on the size of your church, direct traffic in the parking lot. Uh, don't do that. We have a guy doing that. And you don't have authority, so you'd look silly out there. Number nine, if your church uses technology such as audiovisual aids, and you know how those things work, offer to help support that ministry. And that's pretty true of us. We're always looking for that person. Uh, so, so far this guy was eight for nine. I thought it's not too bad. It's pretty good stats-wise. Uh, then he dropped a number on me, number ten. Join the choir or the band. 
And we started to separate in our fellowship a little right there. Uh, don't do that here. Number 11, he got back on track. Help with cleaning, and I liked that. Uh, you can get involved in my house if you want to do that. Number 12, help with fundraisers. Well, we don't have fundraisers, but just give as God has blessed you. And number 13, being more involved, I think this was kind of a more of a uh, observation than uh, something to do. Being involved can have a very positive impact on your spiritual walk. So what is the point of me reading that list? Well, this is what I take from it. I thought it was amazing how in a general church article that wasn't even Church of Christ, it wasn't written in this congregation either, and yet a good 10 out of 14 of those steps was something that we could use at church here. What does that mean? Well, involvement is not a mystery. The barriers that people often refer to are not impossible to get through. They're not as foreboding as they seem. Uh, so what I thought after reading that in just a couple of seconds was there must be some other cause for people keeping them from getting involved. And that's what I, I see in Mark chapter 8. That's what I want to set up and drive home here in the last few minutes of the sermon. Uh, this other factor keeping people from getting, getting involved in the Lord's church. You know, people are not dumb when it comes to finding stuff out. And if you tried but you couldn't figure out how to be involved somewhere, just search the internet and you got an article right there written by somebody on the internet that tells you how to get involved in most churches. Uh, but I don't think that's the problem. I don't think ability and knowledge is the problem. I think we got so much of that now with technology and, and information nowadays. I think the issue is with something deeper. It's with perception. And so my main question of this morning is, what is church to you? What is your perception of church? And I think our answer to that question will determine our level of involvement in church. A study of involvement is a study of what the church is. And that proverbial adage, perception is reality, is going to come into play. Remember back in our text, Peter had this faulty perception, even though he got the right answer when it came to understanding Jesus. And it's the same with us. We can say all the right things about church. But if our perception is off... It's not that we won't be able to serve God. We won't want to serve God in his church. We won't desire to be involved in church. And here are some misconceptions about church that can get in our perception, mess it up, and so forth. Number one, church is a daycare. Church is a place that I keep my kids involved and it's good for them to have something positive and it's good for them to have something that keeps them busy because otherwise they wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't be very productive. Number two, well, church is kind of a family reunion. That's a perception. Church is a place where all my family already goes, my biological family, and so I kind of go for them. Uh, other people say, well, church is an obligation or a routine or a tradition. It's a place where I go once a week. Uh, number four, it's a lot of stuff fits into this consumer. Church is that place where I go and I take it's like Walmart. I show up, I get what I want, and when I got what I want, I leave. And other people say, well, I don't like a big superstore church like Walmart. I like the small church, but I still want to show up and take what I want in the small, intimate environment and leave. If 
any of those things are our perception of church. Our involvement is going to be limited to that. For example, if your church is a daycare to you, you'll do exactly what you need to do to be involved to keep the daycare thing going. If it's a family reunion, you'll do the things your biological family does. If it's an obligation, you'll go just enough in person or online and you'll fulfill your obligation and that's where your involvement will end. If it's a market and you're the consumer, your involvement will be one-sided and once you've taken what you want, that's where your involvement ends. We prove we are not blind when we say, I go to church. And I agree that we should all go to church. But then we reveal how bad our perception is when we treat church like the things mentioned above and our involvement suffers when we view church wrong. Well, if church is not any of those things, what is it? I believe that if we allow God's word to correct our perception of church, I think that will fix the problem of involvement. I think that will bolster involvement in a positive way, and I think it will continue to grow the Lord's kingdom, our perception flowing from God's word and his understanding of it. And so I want to quickly close with some scriptures here uh, in John and Acts, and I want to read them for you, and I want to redefine church on God's terms instead of our own. The first one I think of is John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, verses on screen for you. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. This is when Jesus is about to say his last words on the cross and die for the sins of the world and say that it is finished and have his spirit taken from him, think of the do or die implications here. They're family now. And the family bond that John and Jesus' mother now have is cemented at the foot of the cross. Jesus didn't say, John, I, I want you to get on a rotation and I want you to come by and see my mother and I want you to write her a card I want you to make that occasional visit so we can say she had a visit and if softball season picks up John don't worry you'll be out a couple of months somebody else will probably pick up seeing my mother Jesus sits on the cross and he just says to John behold your mother it's not that we are not taking care of women in our church right now or something like that but I wonder what type of essence involvement might take on additionally towards our widows towards our shut-ins towards our ladies in general of all ages if every member thought as they passed each lady at church that's my mother and my mother will not come into this building and feel lonely and not be greeted and not be hugged and not be talked to and not be invited to the events of this congregation. What is church? Church is that moment at the foot of the cross where because of the death of Jesus, we gain a mother or we gain a son in the faith. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46. You can't talk about church without Acts. Uh, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
It's not that we do not have a great benevolence program here, but I wonder what additional involvement we might have if every member believed the reason they worked was the reason Paul said, to give to somebody who had need. That no one amongst the church should have need for anything because God has blessed us and given us the purpose of ministering unto one another. What is church? Church is that moment in Acts where the sight of 3,000 people being baptized in one day was still fresh on the minds of everybody and where the power of the Holy Spirit is and where daily on any given day you can find brothers and sisters studying, worshiping, giving thanks to God, sharing food in their houses as if the resurrection happened a couple hours ago, as if the ink on Peter's sermon hasn't even dried yet. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 Peter and John have just returned from being warned not to speak in the name of Jesus. They have a church moment and they pray for boldness, they and everyone with them. And I'll read Peter's prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And when they had prayed, in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's not that we don't have people here speaking the word of God with boldness, but I wonder what additional involvement we might have if everybody in this church, every member, pictured our hours of worship as John and Peter did. Coming into a room full of friends, having just been warned by a nervous society not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, and having praised God together with fellowship in the Holy Spirit. What is church? Church is like that moment where believers get a taste of opposition. And yet they draw closer to one another in anticipation of more opportunities to speak boldly the word of God. And finally, Matthew chapter 12, in the text that was capably read this morning, where the people come in and they say, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you, Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. He stretches out his hand towards his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It's not that we don't love our biological families, but I wonder what additional involvement we might have if we looked at our church family as our eternal and abiding family, an institution that our physical family could join and become our eternal spiritual family. What is church? Church is that moment when you're worshiping or working with Christians and you feel a bond that is even stronger than family ties because kingdom work is that powerful. It's that amazing. It's like sitting in a room with Jesus there and your family, your biological family is looking for you and instead of, of, of Jesus going out to meet them, he points at you and he says, that's my family. This is my family right here. What did I learn today? I learned my perception of church affects my involvement in church. I learned that church is defined by the teachings of Christ and the word of God. God started the church through the blood of Christ and he defines what it is. And my perception of church must be shaped by God and Christ as his teachings are in the Bible. I don't know your uh, snapshot of involvement or where you are spiritually, but we have needs and opportunities and we have programs that will minister to you as well. That's, that's church. It's give and take. That is involvement. 
It is mutually beneficial, not because it's selfish in any way, but because that's the way that God designed it. And we want you to be involved. That's why we have these days. If you have not become a member of God's church, not the congregation of Mount Juliet, a member of the church that Christ established, we would love to talk to you about that. To be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins as the New Testament teaches, to be raised a new creature, to know the fullness and the love of Christ, to have that eternal hope. If you have wandered away or maybe you just say, you know, I haven't been as involved as my conscience says I should be. Or I've been looking in the Word of God and I know that I, that I, know that I could get involved in more ministries. Not because I want to be a better person or, or to pay for my sin in any way, but just because God loves me and that's what God's made me to do. Whatever your need is today, please come.